0: We're we'll going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning, verses 4 through 9, continuing our discussion about discipleship. Now, last week, Pastor Hal brought you a message about fellowship. That is the desire that's in your heart if you're a believer to fellowship with other believers. Just what it is. The Bible says if you know Christ, you love believers. Now, you may think, well, I just need the knowledge. I don't need Fellowship. Well, maybe you don't, but we do. We need fellowship with you. The truth is you need it also because your spiritual giftedness needs to be ministered to the body. We're going to be less like Christ if we don't have your gift ministering to us. We need fellowship. You need others to help you bear those burdens. You need others to bring accountability into your life. I need it. You need it. It's just a fact of discipleship. So we teach it. Now, the thing about knowing Christ, we just sang it. He is our righteousness. It's not just learning a bunch of things. As a believer, we learn, as a new believer, we learn how to make righteous decisions. And it it, it resonates with us because we see it in the Word. You go, you know, that's right, that's hard, that's tough. But we begin by faith to make those decisions. You know you're mature when your reactions become the reactions of grace because you have been exercised in the truth. But the truth is, it's what God has put in you. Now, it's our desire as pastors of this church to feed the flock so that the flock is well-fed, that it's equipped, that it's challenged, that it's encouraged So that each one of you would be all that Jesus saved you to be. But we can't make you eat. Now, we're going to be developing some things for parents. You know, we like to lay the responsibility, because it is your responsibility, how you raise your children. And the number one place of training children in the Word of God is the home. But sometimes it's nice, okay, what's the goal? How do I know? When I've given my kids all that I can, and they have that body of faith. Now, whether they choose to receive it or not, that's why you pray for your children because you cannot educate them into grace. That's something God has to do. But you want to make sure you give them all. Now, we have our church mission statement, which is Colossians 128. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That was Paul's desire for all those that he saw come to know the Lord Jesus, that every believer that he shared the gospel with would hear from Jesus, well done. You were obedient. You did what I called you to do. You fulfilled the purpose for which I saved you. So in order to kind of put us in context, I just want to touch on some of these marks of maturity. That's the title of the message, the marks of maturity here in Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that our hearts as your children would be open to your instruction, that not only would you teach us, Lord, but you would stir us up to obedience, that we'd be not just hearers, but we would be growing in our desire for your word and for obedience. Lord, I pray that I might be shirt-filled, that every one of us might be spiritual listeners, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So to put us kind of in context, in Philippians chapter 1, to kind of just kind of boil it all down, he said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work unto you, that's God, you can't save anybody, only God can save somebody, only God puts his spirit into somebody, the one that began the good work will complete it. He will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, and this I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all wisdom. When you first brought one of your precious babies home from the hospital, if you're a mom and dad, you brought that precious baby home. Most of us guys, especially with our first child, are like, "Huh, I better not hold it, I might break it, right? And Christy talks about how she just loves to put those babies and just smell them, hold them close, And they're so precious, and they're so helpless, and they're so dependent on you. And that's a special time, but we don't want them to stay there. We want them to grow and feed them and get strong, and if they're boys, lift weights and learn how to stand on their own and one day live on their own, right? Christy and I I always wanted my boys to have an adventure, and then they did. Christy said, what were you thinking? They grow up and they go places and they do things. That's what God wants for his children to be able to grow up and be strong and go do things for him. And that's why he gave you his life. It's what's in you, it's the spiritual DNA that you have partaken of if you belong to Jesus Christ today. That's why Paul said, I'm confident that God is going to continue to grow you until one day you stand before him and hear, well done, I'm confident because that's his DNA. It's no surprise when you look at your children and people say, oh, he acts just like his dad. He acts just like, she acts just like her mom or she looks like this one or that one because they have your DNA. God has put his spirit within you. That's why you desire to please him. And I will tell you this morning, if you don't have that desire to know him, I give you the right to question your salvation. If it's just about knowing things, so how you appear to others, maybe you don't know him. When you first met your sweetheart that you're married to now, you wanted to know them. If you're a guy, you want to know what kind of candy she liked or where she liked to do so you could be with her. If you're a girl, maybe those special things that he might be attracted to you in this relationship with the Lord Jesus. He put that desire in to want to know him. Religion says, no, these things jump this high. Relationship says, come unto me. Come and know me. Come and talk to me. In chapter 2, we have the example of maturity, Jesus He says in verse 5 of chapter 2, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. See, Jesus, when he called you to follow him, he said, If any man would come after me, deny yourself. That means your thoughts, your will, your desires, they don't matter anymore. You deny yourself, your goodness, your works. No, no, they're, they're worth nothing. Lord, I need you. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus did for us. He emptied himself. And he became obedient even to death on a cross. But how does this work of sanctification work? How does it work? It's just you learning stuff and then you kind of trying to put it on the outside. No, that's what happens when somebody doesn't know the Lord and they just get religion. Or maybe you lead somebody into prayer and they're always trying to hang fruit on this dead branch. Okay, now you need to go to church. Okay, you better start doing this. You know, you're supposed to be a Christian. I was sharing that the other day, my son Benjamin was young, little. He's probably seven or eight, something like that. His older brother PJ said, Benjamin, that's not how a Christian should act. And Benjamin says, Well, I'm not a Christian. Come here, Ben, we got to talk. He wasn't a Christian yet. You cannot have the DNA of Jesus. You won't have the desires. You may have religion, but the Bible says you'll have no power. See, the power comes from within. You can take a child from another family, and you can raise them in your family, but they're never going to have your DNA. You belong to Jesus. You have his DNA, and you are going to look like him and desire to talk like him and walk like him and honor God like he did because that's who you are in Christ. You have to quench the Holy Spirit not to grow to be like Jesus. Do you know that? That's how powerful the Spirit of God is in you. So Paul says this about the works of sanctification. It's grace. Grace is the power and the desire to please God. So, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for it. That which God has placed in, Let it come to the outside that you might be a reflection of God's grace for it is God at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's God that's in you. What is the motivation of a believer? Just to put us in context in Philippians, Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, his motivation was to know Christ. Not just know about him Not just to know trivia, not to know facts, not to know history. Some of you are doing that. You're you're adding all these facts somehow thinking it's going to make you holy. But if you don't belong to him, if his life isn't resident in you, you'll die and go to hell with a lot of knowledge. The desire of a believer is to know Christ. Paul, it was so strong in Paul, he said, whatever it takes, if it's suffering, if it's a cross, to be sacrificed with him, I want to know Jesus The desire of a believer is to know him and to fulfill his purposes for your life. That's a believer's desire. When I watched this story about concussion, it's called about the Pro Football League and how they really don't care much about their players. They're they're getting tuned up now to care more about their players. But I thought about it. I said, You know, I told my grandson Harrison, Harrison, you don't have to play football. You just go play golf. He's like, what are you talking about, Papa? We play football. God puts desires in you, and you have to quench them before they don't come out. Motivation of a believer is to know Christ. He said, I want to know what it's like even to die with him. I would like to know the power of the resurrection. Why did he want to know that? See, that's the power over sin and over self in our life. So what are the marks of maturity? Galatians 5 said it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what you produce because the root is Christ. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Not one of those, all of those. Now, Some of you naturally have a temper, don't you? You say, well, my grandpa had a temper, and my granddad had a temper. My great-granddad had a temper, so I have a temper. Great. Get over it. You have the power within you to conquer the flesh. Let the fruit of Christ grow in your life. But it's nice to have a mark, isn't it? When I was in the Army, I'm sure they have more sophisticated things now. That's 30, 40 years ago. But we had silhouettes, and you hit it, they'd fall down, kind of like somebody got shot, kind of fun, you know? <laughs> fall over. But every once in a while, we didn't want to know just that we were hitting the target. We wanted to know where we were hitting the target. So they took us to these old World War I targets. And there was, out in the field, there's a, a concrete trench, and they put half of the guys to would be out there running the targets. And they would, we'd put these targets up, great big targets, and you sight your weapon in. And then they'd say, mark target. So everybody put the rifle down that was shooting, and they'd creak, roll those things down. And we have big old round stickers. Boom, we put up where they hit the target. So they can look at the target and adjust. We want to know, what does God say is maturity? We start maturity by making faith decisions. We see what the Bible says. and We say, well, whew. That's not the way I've been living, but the Bible says I should forgive. But as we mature in Christ, it just becomes our reaction. It just becomes our reaction. When we're a brand-new Christian, and we hear that Jesus wants us to give the first tenth because he wants us to know that we identify with him, that we say, God, everything I have is yours, and to prove it, here's the first tenth. And you may be a young college student and say, Woo, that's a lot. I don't make much, so that's everything, and I got too much month left at the end of every check. How can I do that? Here's the deal. By faith, you begin to do that. What God wants is he wants you to demonstrate his ownership in your life, but more than that, he wants to show up and rescue you. He wants you to be experiencing him in life every day. It's about relationship, not about rules. So he says, just trust me. Holy Spirit begins to move for you to take a stand on the job or witness to a friend. And and you say, but I'll lose that friend. The Lord ministers to your whispers in your heart, but you have me. Just be obedient. And maybe you do, and maybe that friend goes away. But later, that friend comes to know Christ, and he tells you, oh, thanks for not worried about my temper. Thanks for loving me with Jesus, because you trusted him. As you grow, it just becomes your reaction. When we are training young men in a sport or young ladies in a sport, whether it's track or basketball, there are basics. I had a, a wrestling coach, Mr. Gunderson, who was also our basketball coach in seventh grade, and he hated basketball. I don't know why, because he's a wrestler, I guess. But he was our basketball coach. So he got out the basketball manual. And every single day, he pounded the basics of basketball into our head. Today, I watch a high school game, and I go, oh, man, somebody didn't teach them. Where's Mr. Gunderson when you need him? Because it was basics every single day. Why? When a pro football player goes to catch a pass, and he's a receiver, or a running back goes to run, or a blocker goes to block, or a quarterback goes to do his move. He's not thinking one, two, three because he's made those decisions by training his body over and over and over in the basics so when the time comes, it just flows. It's just a reaction. God wants us to be exercised in faith that as baby Christians, we learn to conquer the flesh. He's given us the power to do it. But then he says, this is what maturity looks like. First of all, it's praise. Philippians 4, four. rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. See, that's in there. But it's a really deep trial. You say, how can I praise the Lord in this trial? I want to tell you it's in there. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. It's called Surprised by Joy. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? How... Martyrs would go home singing praise to God at the flames of persecution. Say, wow, they must have been really stone-on. That wasn't their strength. That was the grace of God in them. That was God's grace. You don't have to walk with God very long and you'll go through some deep trials. But if you're obedient to Scripture and you learn, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5:18, in everything give thanks. Praise God in every situation. Didn't say feel thankful. Didn't say feel happy. It's an act of the will. But if you are exercised by faith as a young believer, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going I'm to thank God for this trial. You'll be surprised by joy. In those deepest trials, you'll say, wow, I know that this is a time of grief, but God has given me a sense of joy. When our brother Ray Weaver first came to our church a long time ago, his wife was already sick with cancer. And we all loved her and we prayed for her and Ray watched his precious wife go home and be with the Lord. And he told me what I've experienced with other saints. He said, I don't know what's going on, Pastor. I am so filled with joy. What is going on? I said, that is God's grace. Because we see past what's here. And God gives us a sense of his grace so that, 1 Peter 3.15, others ask you about the hope that lies within you in the midst of that trial. You say, well, that's God's grace. He's given me a joy that passes understanding. It's praise. Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they've been ministering in Philippi. And every day they would go down to the place of prayer and they would start with prayer. And there's this demon-possessed girl. She was a slave girl owned by some slave owners. And they got money off of her because she was a spiritual medium. She had connection to the devil. And they made money off of her telling fortunes. So every day she wanted to help the devil out too. So she gave bad advertisement. See, advertisement come from the wrong place. You don't need. And so every day she'd say, listen to these men. These men speak for the most high God. Finally, Paul... By the spirit turns around and says, hey, you be quiet, and you come out of her. And he delivered that slave girl from a demon. Well, now the trouble began because the way of making money for those two slave owners, they were upset. So they stirred up a riot. They drug them before the city magistrates, and without a trial, without even finding the facts, they said, go ahead and beat them, and they beat them. Then they threw them in jail. And in verse 25 of Acts 16... About midnight, Paul and Silas begin to pray. And as they prayed, God began to fill them with such joy, they just had to sing. And that's when the Philippian jailer got saved. God caused a great earthquake. Their worship in that time of storm was so amazing, God had to shake the place. And all the prison doors opened up. And all the prisoners' shackles fell off. And the Philippian jailer said, well, I'm dead meat. And he began, Paul knew, he would have to pay the crime of anybody that was there, and so he went to kill himself, and Paul shouts out from the darkness of his worship place, and he says, don't hurt yourself. Now, the prisoners have been listening, and the jailer had been listening and watching. How could these fellas sing? And he comes in, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Later on, a few verses later, he brings them to his house. He's dressing in their wounds And he is full of joy. So, people will wonder where do you get this joy? That's from God. That's just what's in you. That's part of the DNA, a joy of Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. Joy. Not just duty, not obligation. It's joy. Secondly, There's a mark of power in our lives. He says in verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. say, well, hold it. What does gentleness have to do with power? You see, meekness is power under control. You may be very angry, and you may be rightfully that you want to get vengeance. You need to speak your mind and let that person know. And that's what the flesh does. Flesh takes pride in the fact that let everybody know how tough they are and, and nobody crosses them. But Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Why is that power under control? You see, in Mark chapter 15, when he's been crucified to the cross, people were passing by, they were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha. Ah, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. That's exactly right, because if he saved himself, we would be lost. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Who is this that were insulting? The one that spoke the worlds into existence. The Bible says in John one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By him were all things created. Without him was nothing made that is made. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by the word of God, by faith we understand that the, words, the worlds were framed by the word of God. He spoke the worlds into existence. The second person of the Godhead said, let there be light. And there was an explosion, and he created light. This one hanging on the cross did not even have to speak the words. All he had to do was think the thoughts, and this world would fizzle to nothing, and mankind would be lost forever. What great power to show the gentleness of mercy and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That power is available to us. You say, but pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. I may not, but God does. And no one has ever forgiven as much as Jesus has. And if you can't forgive, the Bible says you don't belong to him. That's how powerful. If you can't forgive, you don't belong to him. Because that means you don't have his DNA. I'm not saying it's not hard. See, what you're gonna have to do is trust God for the keeping of your soul. You're gonna have to trust God for your well-being and just have the power of forgiveness. To be gentle, to be meek. Second Corinthians 10:1, Paul says, I, Paul myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This picture was so. Such a powerful picture. Picture of a black power lifter. He's just huge. His chest is bare, his pecs and his biceps are bulging, and he's holding his tiny little baby on his chest. That's gentleness. Meekness doesn't mean weakness, it means the power of gentleness. That's what Jesus had. And that's in us. That is in us. You will not find out the full joy of God until you're tested and you can demonstrate that same weakness. The joy of of a little boy finding out he can actually catch the football or he can hit the ball in baseball or a little girl can run a race. She didn't know she was fast until she beats her brother. How can she do that? Because that was in her. You have the power for kindness because you belong to Christ. Thirdly, there is prayer. You see, the mature reaction to every situation is prayer. It's just what you do. It's just how react. Now, you learned that when you were a baby Christian and somebody said, oh, that, that's a big trial. Let's get together. Let's pray about that. And pretty soon you learn. There is not a day, Hardy, that goes by that somebody from my small group or one of the elders... Or maybe I get a text from one of your prayer changes. Hey, we need to pray about this. Almost daily, somebody says, hey, let's meet for coffee. We got to pray. And we pray. It says there, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. That's a command. Don't worry about, do we worry? Yes, we worry. Do we get fear? Yes, we do. But then we can start our prayer by saying, God, that's sin. And we can memorize scripture like 2 Timothy 1.7, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a disciplined mind. And since we have the power of a disciplined mind, we can say, hold it. Whew. I think this is a trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm starting to feel anxious. That's sin. I need to pray. We call our brothers or sisters. Could you pray with me? Maybe it's just on the phone, but we need to pray. We need to pray. That is the reaction of maturity. Let me ask you something. As your children go up, they ever get to the place of maturity you don't want to hear from them anymore? How come you leave God out then? God loves to hear his children. My boys are growing up. One of my favorite things was to feed them. And I was a strength coach at the high school, so I knew the best thing you could feed guys is milk, and I know all the moms hated that because my boys could put down a gallon of milk a day by themselves. We were buying two or three gallons of milk a day. That's good stuff. Why do calves grow into bulls? Because they got milk, right? Chris says, Well, they're drinking all this milk. I said, That's right. They're drinking milk and they're getting strong. We weren't sure when some of them were growing up whether they actually got full or we just ran out of food. I love that. God loves that in his children. I love the fact that my boys came to me and they said, hey, Dad, I need this. Hannah will come to me and say, Dad, I need that. I love that because I'm her dad. God loves that. He put that in your heart. He doesn't want you to be so independent you don't need him anymore. Jesus said to his disciples, you being evil, you know how to give good things to your, your children. Where do you think that comes from? Your heavenly father wants to be the provider in your life. He wants to hear from you. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And when you do that, you put God first in conversation and prayer, meeting with him, then the God of all peace, he'll keep your hearts and minds. What is it you don't need to talk to God about? Oh, I got this, Lord. I've I've been here before. Really? You don't know what tomorrow is. Do you trust him? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You may have this experience before, but this is another day. Every time our elders come for a challenge, we don't say, well, we've been here before. No, no, we say, let's pray. How do you demonstrate that? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then you'll have a straight path. Prayer, it's just reaction of mature believer. Hey, we gotta pray. Husband and wife, all of a sudden, there's a big challenge coming up. It's a health challenge or it's a challenge for a bill. I don't know how we're going to pay this. Pray. And then your children see you praying. They know there's problems, and you share it with them. Family, let's pray together. And then together, you see God provide. I tell my guys that all the time in small group. Hey, there's a problem. We need to know about because I want to be part of the party when God answers later. I want to be part of that worship. I want to be part of that celebration, so let me join in and pray also. Everything by prayer. Fourthly, peace. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. John 14, 27, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. What is the peace the world gives? Circumstantial. When everything's good, when the bills are all paid, you got the house you want, the date you want, the job you want, the opportunity you want, peace. But the Bible says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly up. There's going to be trouble. There's storms that come to every neighborhood. Jesus said, if you build your house on the rock, the storms will come, and you can have peace. See, the peace that Jesus gives is the peace that passes all understanding, So in the midst of that storm, 1 Peter 3.15, people will say, wow, how can you have peace in this storm? Oh, that's the confidence that God gives me. That's confidence. i told this before, but I love this story. One of the greatest coaching feats I've ever seen was Coach Nichols coaching my son David's ninth grade football team. And they were playing Fort Collins, and it was back and forth the whole game, and With about a minute left, Fort Collins scored, and it was all over. And every one of those guys came back to the huddle, and I was there on the sideline. I wasn't coaching. And they all had their heads like this. And Coach Nichols says, hey, fellas, lift your heads up. Look at me. This game's not over yet. We're going to win. See, that's the confidence that a coach gives. The game's not over yet. And Jesus whispers that confidence as the peace in spite of the storm. It's not over yet. You may die in the flames, but there's victory and glory. And Paul said, listen, all this suffering cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. And so we have confidence. It's worth it. It's worth it. Supernatural peace that keeps us on the path that keeps our eyes directed to him. It surpasses comprehension. That confidence. Fifth, perfected appetite. Literally, food for thinking. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence... If anything worthy of praise, you think about these things. You see, if a young man's lifting weight and he wants to get stronger, he's got to have a balanced diet and he's got to have protein. You want to be victorious in the Christian life, you cannot feed on the husks of the world. You need to feed on Jesus. You need to feed on the Word of God. And the reaction of a mature believer, is that where, that's where he goes. He goes to the Word of God. John Bunyan, the author of the great book, Pilgrim's Progress, said, My desire as a pastor is to full, fill my people soul full of the Word of God. If you cut them, they bleed bibline. That ought to be your desire. That's your reaction as a mature believer. <sighs> What'd God say about this? What's God say? It's our strength. It is our spiritual food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he trains our tastes so we just want to feed on the good things of God. Then he says, also, the things you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. The word practice there in the Greek is not talking about, you know, going through the motions a 100 times or learning to do something. It's talking about what you do. When a doctor has a medical practice, he practices medicine. It's what he does. He's not experimenting on his patients, hopefully, right? He's practicing medicine. If you have a law practice, you are practicing the law. You are doing the law. You are applying the law. He said, we need to walk this life. We need to do this life. And it becomes our response The response of grace was Paul's prayer for those people. I love this prayer from Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. Beyond your imagination, God wants you to experience his good things. But it comes from discipline. Discipline. The discipline of grace, so there's mature, that becomes your reaction. Then people look at you and what they see is Jesus. Father, we thank you that you love us. And that by the Apostle Paul, you've given us these marks of maturity so we can rejoice that you're at work in us. And Lord, give us the courage not to quench your spirit, give us the grace of obedience that we might become the sons and the daughters of God, that you are proud to be called our Father. And, Lord, that we would grow and fulfill your purpose in our life so that others might see you. But even more important than that, that we might hear from you well done. And then we'll give you all the glory, Jesus, because it's you at work in us. We pray. Amen.